1: Chapter 23, The Yule Ball. Despite the very heavy load of homework that the fourth years had been given for the holidays, Harry was in no mood to work when term ended, and spent the week leading up to Christmas enjoying himself as fully as possible along with everyone else. Gryffindor Tower was hardly less crowded now than during term time. It seemed to have shrunk slightly, too, as its inhabitants were being so much rowdier than usual. I'm Matt Potts.
0: And I'm Jolie Doggett.
1: And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Hi, Jolie. Hi Matt. Our f- founder and leader and co-host, Vanessa Zoltan, remains on sabbatical doing wonderful important things. But the wonderful important thing for us is that Jolie Doggett, frequent guest host of this podcast and brilliant writer and editor who writes at the intersections of gender, race, and mental health, is here with us today to talk about chapter twenty three and to talk about my daughter Cammie's favorite chapter in the whole Harry Potter corpus. Is it the really? Yule Ball? Yeah, and she did, she insisted that she read this chapter to me as I prepared oh for for this episode. So we just sat and we sat on my bed and she read the chapter to me. She loves it.
0: I'm so excited to hear your and Cammy's take on this chapter.
1: Can't wait to get into it. Just a couple of announcements before we do that. First, please remember that you can subscribe to ad free episodes on iTunes and you can review us there too, which is a great help to us. Also, remember that we are having camp this summer, June 9th to 11th in Monticello, New York. Jolie will be there doing a workshop on journaling as a sacred practice. It's going to be great. And we're so excited. So we can't wait to see you there. Also, stay tuned, those of you who are Patreon subscribers, because we are going to have our Every Flavor Bean episode this week, where Jolie and I are going to talk about our middle school dance experiences. Oh, yeah. This this is one (laughs) you listeners don't want to miss. So if you are a (laughs) subscriber or if you would like to hear these kinds of perks, please join our Patreon. And if not, we are glad to have you here with us in this episode. Jolie, you have a story about change for us this week.
0: Yes, our theme is change. And it's interesting. I... Didn't really think the story was about change when I originally was thinking of it, but I want to tell the story about a time I got mad at one of my friends. It's a very recent story. I was having a very, very busy week, a very hard week. I was moving. I was traveling. I was doing so many things. I had gotten off of one plane to New York, another plane to LA within the same week. And I had a lot of work responsibilities, a lot of visiting people that I had to do. The time zone change was messing me up. Like I didn't know when to go to sleep or when to wake up. And I was on my way home from my last plane ride and I left my earrings in the hotel room. I am notorious for leaving things in hotel rooms. I do it all the time. I leave chargers. I leave glasses. I leave makeup products. But these were my favorite earrings. They were Real gold. They were little perfect hoops. I love hoops. I'm a hoops girl. <laughs> I'm wearing one right now. <laughs> just the one. <laughs> and I got up super early in this hotel room to make sure I packed everything. And then because I got up so early and everything was packed, I had two hours. I took a nap and I took my earrings off. Oh. And then when I got on the plane, I touched my head to put my headphones on and realized I don't have my earrings. So I immediately texted one of my friends, a friend I have been friends with for a very long time. And I said, I left my earrings in the hotel room. And then she just sent me an LOL. (laughs) And I was so hurt. I was just like, I need (laughs) some sympathy in this moment. (laughs) And she's just like, they're just earrings. But like, I'm sorry, you lost your favorite earrings. And in that moment, I was upset. And then I realized I'm also upset with myself because I didn't need to be that upset, one, about the earrings, because earrings are replaceable, and two, with my friend, because my friend is always, has always been a jokester, has always been a look on the bright side type of person, has always been very silly, very funny. And I'm recognizing that as we are getting older, again, we've been friends for a very long time, and now I am. we are in our 30s, we're much older, and I'm recognizing that our friendship dynamic is changing, but also in a positive way. I'm learning more about her and she is learning more about me. We're learning more about each other's needs. And in that, there will be things that I won't always be able to go to her for. Being able to talk to each other about everything is something that I think we put a lot of value on in friendships, right? But as our friendships grow and change, sometimes our responsibilities to those friends change, our responsibilities to ourselves change, and therefore the friendship has to change. But that doesn't make the friendship any less strong or different. When I have a funny situation happen to me on a plane, I can call her, or I can't call her (laughs) because airplane mode, but I can remember it, (laughs) and I can message her about it and know we'll have a good laugh. And I know I also have other friends who are super emotionally empathetic and super dramatic like myself, and will also... (sighs) Lament the loss of these tiny gold earrings with me and we will have a good time. So I've just been thinking a lot about the changes friendships have over the years and how sometimes those changes makes things stronger. And when reading this chapter, I'm noticing there's a lot of relationship changes happening in this chapter. And I'm wondering... Are they becoming stronger? Are they becoming weaker? Are people becoming stronger as individuals? How does change impact our relationships going forward? How do our relationships
2: change? Yeah.
1: Julia, I'm really grateful for that story because I didn't see where change was gonna be in the story when you started. And then because I didn't see it coming at the end, like the, the way you described the changes in your friendship really landed for me like really made a lot of sense to me it's interesting because like there's i feel like there's two changes that are going on like your friendship is changing but also as you Mm -hmm. said like you're changing too like the friendship is changing Because you have changed in the sense that you understand friendship differently. Like, not everybody is for everything. Like, that's why we have lots of friends. Like, we joke in one way with one set of friends. We lament in another way with another set of friends. There's some friends who can do a little bit of both and others who can't do either. And we go to them for other things, right? And I think it really illustrates well, like, what change is. I mean, and how it works and especially how it works over time you know as i like to do every week i like to take our listeners to etymology corner and one root of the word change comes from the latin and it actually comes from like the word to barter so like when you like are Ooh. bartering so that's that's the actually a sense of like exchanging one thing for another mm-hmm. right and that's not really the sense i get from you the deeper root of the word change is it comes from an ancient word that meant like to bend mm. and you think about that you think of like the trajectory or the path of a friendship Like, what friendship is just a straight path all the way through life, right? Of course. A boring one. Exactly, right? It bends and curves. And like, your job as a friend is to follow that curve, even if the changes are unexpected. And as you said, like, some friendships and some relationships take some hairpin turns in this chapter. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. But first, we got to do our 30-second recap. It is the guest's privilege to go second. So would you like to count me in for the 30-second recap, Julie?
0: Here we go, Matt.
1: So it starts and it's Christmas and everyone's uh, roughhousing and then they go to, uh, and then they they get a letter from Sirius and 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 then they go to bed and wake up and it's Christmas morning and Dobby's there and they exchange gifts and then they go to breakfast and then there's a ball that night so they go to get ready and they come back to the ball and everyone's dressed up and they look fancy and that's a part Cameron really loves and then there's this there's this person with Crumb who's this person no one notices and then oh my gosh it's Hermione and then, and then there's a big fight and then they go outside and Severus is talking to Igor and uh and Hagrid offends Maxime and there's a huge- fight at the end between Hermione and Ron?
0: Okay, Whew. I think you did a good job. I
1: well, I got a little caught up. This is—I got to tell you—this is a long chapter.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of the longer ones, but it's 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 it has a lot it needs to cover. That's a th- um, and there's a lot you got to get in. I mean, there's I there's a lot.
1: Okay, I will count you. I'm ready. Three, two, one, go
0: okay, it's winter on Hogwarts and people are bursting into canaries thanks to Fred and George and it's also the time for the Yule Ball and Ron is upset with his dress robes so he cuts them and it doesn't make it look better and also Doby is there before they get the dress robes and Harry gets some socks because he's a bad friend but he's trying anyway, they go to the Yule Ball no one recognizes Hermione Ron and Harry are also bad dates but Harry alerts to dance Percy's there, he got promoted and um, um, Madame Maxine and Hagrid have a long conversation about their ancestry and Ron and Hermione get into a huge fight and there's the weird sisters and lots of dancing it's fun, okay, bye <laughs> I forgot the most I've... important part, which is like Igor and Snape like having their exchange in the in the garden. I know, but like, you picked was... up
1: you picked up all the things I missed, and also, okay. which is I think a new thing to for the third second recap. You said okay, bye at the end, which is <laughs> <laughs> which is a waste. <laughs> of my time. <laughs> which is essential. I'm going to finish all my third second recaps with okay, bye for now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was so stressed out.
1: <laughs> okay. I know. So. Jolie the first thing I want to talk about with respect to change in this chapter is just like maybe the most obvious instance of change or at least most apparently obvious I don't know I think if we dig into it it might be it
0: wasn't obvious to everybody yeah it might be more complicated
1: it's obvious to us right (laughs) it's like Hermione has changed right like everyone at the school thinks of her a particular way and they have like a certain look associated with her and she shows up at this ball with a different look I mean I think that's why Cammie loves this chapter it's because Mm -hmm. she saw this in her head when she when the book was read to her as a child, and then she watched Emma Watson walk in in the movie, right? And Cammie, like, Mm -hmm. that's, like, this moment, like, the possibility of, like, becoming someone else who, like, surprises everybody while also still being yourself, right? And, like, that's, to me, that's the really thing about this change because we hear Hermione speak to people. She's the same Hermione. Mm -hmm. She's not a different person. She hasn't changed, but obviously she's changed. I mean, the outwardly she's changed and that changes her relationship to other people in the chapter. It changes their relationship to her. And that can't but like affect also who she is in some way. Right. So it's a, that's why I said like at first glance, it's obvious. And you, like you said, to us who are reading, mm-hmm. but it's also like there's more subtle stuff going on. What changes? What doesn't? Like what? Yes. Yeah. I was just wondering what you, what you thought of that and how you were thinking about change with that.
0: Yeah, like you mentioned, she doesn't become a different person. She's still Hermione. Her outward appearance changes. I would argue that what truly changes is how other people see her. Like, even Malfoy can't find anything negative to say about Hermione, and that is his favorite pastime. I'm sure he has things, like, loaded up in the chamber, ready to go, and didn't know what to say to her. Pansy Parkinson didn't know what to say. Harry and Ron, Hermione's best friends in the entire world, did not even recognize her. Like, had no idea who this girl, Victor Crumb, was with. And I think it speaks to how our outward appearance affects how people see us a lot, but also how the outward appearance doesn't necessarily reflect who we are on the inside. It doesn't dictate who we are on the inside. Hermione is going to be Hermione, whether she has a bun or a poofy hair, whether she has crooked front teeth or straight front teeth, whether she is weighed down by books or walking tall next to a really handsome professional Quidditch player. I mean, get it, Hermione. (laughs) Like, I'm just happy for her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this
1: is one of the, like, actually the classic problems of philosophy, not to get too philosophical on this podcast. No,
0: let's do it. Let's do it.
1: Like, how we think about identity. Like, we are not the same person every day, and yet we are the same person every day. So, like, what is the constant thing? What is the thing that changes? And I think you're absolutely right. Like, that is what's interesting here in this change in Hermione. She is the same Hermione. We know that from the way she talks. She's recognizable to us as readers because we know her primarily— through these conversations that we read on the page. And you're right. Like, the fact that other people understand her differently or come into a different relationship with her doesn't change any of that stuff about her. But I also think that Hermione, like, she understands this about herself now, right? This is a new thing that she did not know about herself, that she could be this, or that these sorts of reactions or relationships are ones that are part of who she is. And just her knowing that, Is a change in her, also, right? Like, so it's subtle. Like, I think it's complicated. Like, I actually think you're right. There's something that there's something constant that is important to hold on to and think about, and that others' reactions to us cannot compromise. I think that's important, right?
0: Yes, I think that's important. Like, it it asks the question, like, who are we? Are we who we are to ourselves, or are we who we appear to be to other people? And I think the last point you made is that we can't allow other people's perceptions to compromise who we are in in the individual. And I think that's something Hermione does really well. But also to your point that she's recognizing that these are things that are part of her as well. She's adding these things on to who she is. I mean, she is the one who picked out this dress. She is the one who changed her hair. She's the one who let Madame Pomfrey just carry on a little bit more (laughs) when she was shrinking her teeth. Hermione is also embracing the different sides of her. Being yourself does not mean you have to be the same person all the time. Just as we spoke in the beginning about how our relationships go along Ben's, Our lives, our individual lives, go along these bends. Sometimes you want to be a bookworm, sometimes you want to be a baddie, and life is about existing in the in-between. And Hermione does that really, really well. I can see why Kami likes this chapter
1: so much. Everything you said, too, right? Like, this book series started when she was 11, now she's 14. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes people who are bookworms when they're 11 do the want to be baddies more often when they're 14, right? That's part of becoming 14 or 15 or whatever, right? Like that's part of the change that is happening with these children. Like they're going through this and we are watching them they're go through it. They're about
0: themselves. That's right. Like, and who they are. Because Hermione, and, yeah. she eventually abandons the bun. She's like, it was too much work. I'm, I'm happier. <laughs> and the, the, also the great thing about it is that Harry, Ron, we'll get to him, Harry, Ron, Hagrid, her true, even Crumb, her true friends still like her for who she is because the appearance wasn't what drew them. It was the Hermione that drew them to Hermione. And that's going to be yeah. constant, even as the outward appearance changes, even as we learn and accept new things about ourselves. Who we are at our core, I think, is what is the most important and what stays constant.
1: Right. Crumb has been creeping around that library for a while. Right? He, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, yeah this it's, is it's a new. A weird. She, but she didn't walk into the ball and suddenly Crum was excited, right? Like he, right. he's like you were saying, like there is a, a Hermione that was visible to him and becomes visible to Ron and Harry you know, that that it remains constant.
0: Do you want to talk about Ron?
1: <laughs> Let's talk more about Ron because, you know, we see some of these changes starting with Ron last chapter when, you know, in that comic relief really and he realizes that Hermione's a girl or whatever, right? Like in this chapter, mm-hmm. we can see that Hermione's outward change is changing Ron. Do you want to talk more yeah. about what happens at the end of this chapter? I actually
0: want to take it even further back than Great. this past chapter. Okay, good. I think it's another situation where it's obvious to us but it's not obvious to the characters within the story. I think I have noticed Ron's attachment to Hermione very early on. The man mm-hmm. was throwing up slugs for Hermione in book two. Like yep. He immediately jumps to defend. He is always willing to like come between her and Malfoy to speak up on her behalf in book three when yep. Hermione knows the answer and no one's calling on her. He is the first one who notices that her smile is different in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Harry doesn't notice. There's not a point where we see Ron isn't recognizing Hermione. Everyone else didn't recognize Hermione. Harry referred to her as, like, in his internal thought, as some girl he didn't recognize. But Ron had been looking for her the entire time, and... In- saw her immediately and that changed his mood for the rest of the evening. But I think Ron is coming to a point where unlike Hermione, where she is actively participating in and introducing these changes, Ron is changing against his will and doesn't really know how to process it. And we see later on how he does not process it well and takes it out on several people, not just Hermione, not just Padma, even Ludo Bagman at some point and Percy, like he's just like, he was once the biggest fan of Crumb and now he's just like shrugging him off and being really short with him. And Ron is going through changes that he can't quite process yet because I don't think he is accepting changes. Accepting changes is such an important step in the change process
1: this is interesting the way you put this because it it again raises this question of like what's constant and what's changing right Mm -hmm. because when we were talking about hermione we had this conversation about what's what part of hermione is constant and not unchanging and what is the thing that's changed and i think you bring up some really good examples from book two and book three where like this maybe has always been in ron Mm -hmm. right like what it meant when they were 11 means something different than when now that they're 14 right but like this kind of loyalty affection, admiration, all these things that Ron has always felt for, Maybe not always, you know, there was some teasing at the beginning, some maybe even bullying at the beginning, but mm-hmm. like Ron has been loyal and affectionate towards Hermione for a while. But what that means to him is changing. And as you say, like, he's not accepting that change, right? So like, yeah. he wants it to mean the same thing. He wants the meaning of his affection for her not to change, but it is changing. It and is changing. He can't accept what the the bend that's going to make in their relationship, right? Like,
0: he, he's getting thrown off. <laughs> he's getting thrown off. He's
1: stepping off the path or he's, he just landed in the ditch or something. Yeah. What's interesting, though, is in this chapter, you know, it seems clear that Hermione understands it.
0: Yes. Her last words in the chapter is like, next time, ask me to the ball before someone else does. And Ron is just completely dumbfounded. He's like, well, she completely missed the point. (laughs) And Harry is like, I think she got the point better than you did. Like, Hermione knows she's aware of the change that's happening to you, but she is not going to make it easy. She's not going to be like, Ron, sweetie, (laughs) you're having some feelings, (laughs) and I think we need to talk them through, because the way he reacts to this change is really negative to their friendship. Their friendship is also changing as a result of Hermione's external change and Ron's internal change. And it's, again, it's another bend in their friendship. It's multiple bends are happening right now, and they're both getting thrown off. But we do know that they find their way back eventually. I also want to offer something from a different text that, one could read as sacred. I want to offer Octavia Butler's *The Parable of the Sower, a very, very, very good sci-fi book that all fans of Harry Potter and Sacred Text should definitely read. A line in, the, in that story is that the only constant thing is change. We're talking about the difference between what is constant what is, and what is changing, but what if it's all the same? Like, we're changing, and that is the consistency. Yep. Or we're being constant within ourselves. And that's the only way that we can navigate these changes that we go through in our lives. I think it's just, it's just all about going with the flow, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of Octavia Butler and the parable sower is a beautiful and important text that you're right, all of our listeners should read. And these, this idea that change is the only constant, like these are deeply rooted, right? So like in Buddhism, when they talk about like, nothingness the idea of nothingness is more mm-hmm. just like that no thing is permanent like it's an idea of impermanence That like mm-hmm. even the thing that you think is permanent is changing and it's not there forever that's what nothingness is right it's not like absolute emptiness it's just that like nothing is constant and it's in the west too like some of the earliest philosophers we have in the west there's this ancient greek guy named heraclitus who says that the only constant is changed he bases whole philosophy around that and, you know, we can have conversations about the relevance of ancient Greek or ancient Indian philosophers to contemporary thought, but <laughs> like somebody like Octavia Butler, who is a contemporary of us and has great wisdom and like was prescient about the changes in this country. Yes. When she was writing in the late 20th century, like knew exactly what was going to be going on in the early 21st century. There's a lot of wisdom there. And I, I, I'm glad that you brought that up.
2: A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend,
1: So, you know, we talked about, when we talked about Hermione, and even with Ron, we talked about, like, how others' perceptions of us affect change and what change that means. Mm-hmm. There's a really kind of stark and kind of, for me, very sad example of this at the end of the chapter or towards the end of the chapter, not quite yeah. at the end. We know as readers that that Hagrid has had this kind of crush on Madame Maxime basically since she showed up, right? And mm-hmm. at the Yule Ball, he's in the same suit that he was in before. He's trying to impress the chapter is written from Harry's perspective mostly, and Harry's not paying his primary attention to Hagrid. But the glimpses we get is that things are going well with Hagrid and Maxime, right? Mm-hmm. They seem to be having a good time. They're, they're, he's talking waving, to each other. she's yep. waving
0: back, her opals right. are sparkling. That's like, right. You know. That's
1: right. And then Ron and Harry taking a walk outside, and they hear this kind of ominous conversation between Snape and Karkarov that we mentioned in the 30 second recap. And then they also overhear kind of at the same time this conversation between Hagrid and Maxime. And in fact, it's kind of like they're trying to decide which conversation to listen to. They feel like they they ought not to be listening to Hagrid's. They want to hear the other one, but they can't avoid hearing Hagrid's conversation with Maxime. Mm -hmm. And basically, Hagrid reveals that he has, you know, a parent who is a giantess, right? Mm -hmm. Which evidently, you know, I think we're like Harry in this chapter. We don't realize that this is a, a thing that would carry stigma with it, right? And Honestly, kind of like Harry, we just kind of always yes. assumed that he must have had some kind of, given his size, he must have had some <laughs> yeah. kind of different background or something. And Haggard has made that assumption of Maxime and, you know, asks her kind of point blank based on that assumption, like, tell me about your ancestry. Who was a giant in your in your past? Mm-hmm. And she takes real offense of this and it changes everything, right? In the moments before... Yeah. The text, you know, uses words like "purred" when when it's talking mm-hmm. about Maxine's reactions to him. She is into it, and then he says yeah. this, and she storms off. Yeah, deeply upset. She's getting cold. Yeah, what,
0: <laughs> more ways than yeah. One. What did
1: you What did you think of this?
0: I recognize that this was a moment where Hagrid thought he was going to experience a really meaningful change. He mentions that he's never met anyone like him before. Granted, he is making an assumption, a correct assumption that. We know, but an assumption. And he's thinking that this is going to be a shift in his life where he can learn from someone else, where he can relate to someone else for the first time in his life. And that changes pretty quickly. Cold water gets poured all over that situation. And he, again, Feels possibly more lonely than he had ever felt before. Probably guilty about the way he impacted Maxine and changed the nature of their conversation. But I also think that it is a reflection of Madame Maxine's unwillingness to accept. I think the change in the tone of their conversation. Who knows what they were talking about before Hagrid got more comfortable and was like, "Okay, this is my moment. I'm gonna gonna go in with the giant question." Like I feel like we're at that level in our relationship. I think. Maybe Hagrid thought their relationship had changed to a certain point and Madame Maxine was not ready for that. It's reflective of me how Madame Maxine has probably never had to have this conversation Mm. with someone before. Like Hagrid has likely avoided it her whole life because of the things that we don't know yet as readers. But because of the stigma there is around giants and giantess and gigantism, I think, would be the proper phrase here. She does not know how to change her constant way of being, which is secretive about yeah. being a giant. Being part giant, rather. And she's not ready to do that quite yet, just like Ron is not ready to accept the fact that he has failings for Hermione. Yeah. And in doing so, lashes out and re- projects and isn't able to effectively exchange in this communication any longer. Yeah. And I would like to say that I do think it is fair, if you're not ready to have a conversation, that you don't have to have that conversation. Yeah. I also think it is important that we are fair to others who are trying to have conversations with us. I did not, I did lash out <laughs> at my friend who didn't, who did not appreciate the loss of my earrings. However, I also apologized to her, and that is how we got into a conversation of me just recognizing, like, oh, like we react differently to things, and that's okay. So I think that's the lesson I take out of this moment in that. I don't have to be everything to everybody. Maxine doesn't have to be a shoulder for Hagrid to lean on in this moment. However, as human beings, we... We should operate in a sense of kindness to one another, and and that kindness goes both ways. Hagrid should understand where Maxine is coming from, and Maxine should be able to kindly and politely decline the conversation. Yeah. That's not what happens, and but that's the lesson that I learned from this moment. Yeah,
1: yeah I, th- I think you're right. I mean, I I have real sympathy for, for Hagrid's impatience here. We've talked on this podcast before, it comes up so frequently, you probably mm-hmm. were part of it at one point, like it just how lonely, a figure Haggard yeah. is. Like he's so isolated. Yeah. He's on the outskirts of this community. He's a he's a sweet person who 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 is protective and good. He makes mistakes sometimes, right? But like he doesn't deserve to be isolated the way he has been basically Absolutely since he was a not. student. And so I can get his impatience. Like here's another sure, person, right? Me too. Right? That's so I'm sympathetic to that. But you're right. The other thing is like he still has to show that patience. Like he can he can speak his truth, but he can't expect mm-hmm. other people to speak their truths until they're ready. And And especially with Maxime, I mean, like, with respect to Hagrid, I think he's a great groundskeeper. He's a groundskeeper at Hogwarts. She's the head of a school, right? Like, she has more to lose if this comes out. The stakes
0: are higher. The stakes
1: are higher. They're different for her. And so, like, you know, maybe he can... She's also
0: a woman. That's right. Being a woman inhabiting a larger body, whether you're a giantess, a wizard, a muggle, it is such a difficult... It's a difficult road to walk in life, and people will always feel as if they have the right to comment on your body, your health, your figure, to criticize you, to discourage you, to call you unattractive and therefore not worthy of the social currency that comes with attractiveness in this country. Like, I think Maxine is probably balancing yeah. those things as well. She doesn't want to be seen For, like we were mentioning with Hermione, her outward appearance, she wants to be seen for her inward, for who she is. Whatever her ancestry, who she is, is who she is. It's a complicated part. It is, yeah. I'm really glad we're discussing this because I think originally when I read this story when I was about Cammy's age, I mean, we've known Hagrid Way longer than we've known this Maxine person. It's just like, whoa, 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 stop being mean to my friend. Yeah. Like, just tell the truth. Ha- even Harry has that reaction. He's like, big bones, only bones bigger <laughs> than hers are a dinosaur. But like, our immediate reaction is to be on Hagrid's side. But what I'm seeing now, as I'm older, as I have changed throughout life, and as I have learned, is that it's complicated. There's no one side to be on. And there are valid points from either end of the exchange. Yeah.
1: yeah it seems to me like the, the thing that Haggard can, I mean, this is easy in retrospect, right? But the thing that Haggard can do is mm-hmm. speak his truth and hope that gives yes. the other person the courage to speak their truth if they want to, but he can't force it out. Right. But you're right too, that she needs to sort of like, there are other ways that she can react. She can decline to answer the question and say like, no, you're mistaken. There's no right? Like, to Mm -hmm. run away and reject Hagrid like this is also, like, not honoring the courage that he just showed in saying this to her, right?
0: Yes. It could have been as simple as, like, I appreciate you trusting me with this information. Like, I won't use it in any way, but we, we can end the conversation here. You know what I mean? And also, we do know that eventually Hagrid's courage does open doors for Maxine. we know later on that they eventually embark on a journey in the mountains to find giants together. And in doing that, there had to have been an off-page exchange where they finally came to to be. So I also want listeners and myself to be encouraged to, as you're embracing the changes in your life, feel free to express them. Like, you never know who you're impacting and you never know who's listening or who's watching and who's feeling encouraged. But... Don't pressure anyone else yep. to to share what they're going through, but know that they'll find you when they're ready.
1: Jolie, you know, when we were preparing for this episode, you had a really great observation about this chapter and change. So it's kind of like a meta conversation, not about a particular yeah. event, plot event in the yeah. chapter, but like the role this chapter serves in the larger series. So just cue, I thought it was really interesting. Just cue that up for our listeners and tell us about how you think this chapter represents change itself.
0: Yeah, As I was reading, I couldn't help but notice the change in tone that is happening within this chapter. This chapter falls almost smack dab in the middle of book four, and book four is smack dab in the middle of the canonical Harry Potter series. And it is a chapter in a book that expresses a lot of change within our characters. They're getting older, they're dressing differently, they're having all these hormones and emotions. They're no longer little kids like they were when they started this story. But also, the tone is changing. I Found myself smiling and grinning when Dumbledore was speaking about being able to find a bathroom at five thirty in the morning, and I found myself remembering how all the kids dressed in robes and Ludo Bagman's wearing bright stars, and everyone's being really silly. And Fred and Angelina are dancing around and being being hilarious, and everyone's bursting into canaries at the <laughs> beginning, and they're <laughs> having snowball fights. Everyone is having like a good time, but I also know that this bathroom that Dumbledore finds will eventually serve a greater purpose in book five as the room of requirement. And I'm also aware that something happens to Ludo Bagman, like off page, and then we run into him again, and then we never know what happens to him. I also know that while they're all dancing and having a good time, Karkaroff and Snape's dark marks are burning. We know Mr. Crouch is struggling with controlling his son and maintaining the rise of dark magic in the books. This book and this chapter serves to me as a true a true exploration of the shift in tone and the shift in what is important that's going to happen throughout these stories and I just find it really both fascinating and kind of sad to be reading it, this go around, because I know what's going to happen. And I imagine if you're listening to the second season of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, you might also know what's <laughs> going to happen in these stories. <laughs> it is a possibility. But if not, I'm not going to spoil it far too much. But I do just want to say that fun times, um, fun times of magical cooperation and Ron's biggest problem being that the girl he wanted to go to the dance with didn't go with him. This is going to be a distant... Things are going to change for them. Even for Fleur Delacour. Right now she's just complaining about poltergeists and making out with Roger Davies. But man, (laughs) things things are about to get really really real for these people and it's both exciting and also a little tragic we even see cedric pop up in this chapter happy looking forward to kissing cho chang and uh we'll see what happens with cedric as it as it goes on but i couldn't help but notice that this change was happening in the tone and it made me feel sad but it also made me feel as though that's life if we're going to look back later on, and you should definitely join us for our Every Flavor Beans portion, but we're going to look back later on on middle school. How far removed are we from the the days of yore of middle school, Matt? Like, what were our problems then? And <laughs> what are our problems now? <laughs> and it's just, I'm happy that we were able to experience and survive the changes of life. But, you know, there's also a bit of sadness, nostalgia, melancholy, looking back at, you know, when times were... We're simpler, but we learn things through the changes we go through, so that's always something to celebrate.
1: Yeah. I think it's such a wise observation just of the series as a whole, like seeing this chapter almost as a hinge around which the mm-hmm. whole series can turn, right? I mean, the book four is also a hinge, but like yes. this chapter kind of, and, and maybe, you know, in the past, I've said that this is my least favorite book, um, and I know you said it's your favorite.
0: <gasps> it is.
1: But. Going through it this time, like I'm liking it more and more. And I'm seeing it. I think maybe one of the reasons why it's appealing to me so much is because it the book itself is a hinge in the series. And the chapter arising as it does right in the middle of this book, pretty much right in the middle of this book. It also has it still has the echoes of that kind of playful, whimsical Harry Potter with Dumbledore kind of being a crack up uh, and the concerns of school children, right? Yes. And it also has like everything that's that's coming. In the next three books, yeah. which, you know, we don't yeah. know yet if you're reading this for the first time, but uh, that are coming. I mean, if you think about if you think about book one, you know, we've talked about this in the podcast before. Book one resembles more like a Roald doll type children's story. Mm, for right? sure. If it's you, way sillier. Way sillier, way right? If you think about book seven, that's more like a Octavia Butler parable of the talents, yeah. parable of the sower, like action. It's very
0: dystopian. Yep. And I feel like <laughs> it's very action. And we
1: get from one to the other and it passes through. And so it, this chapter kind of lives up to both of those etymological definitions of change it is it's a bend is happening right like that the, yes. it is we are taking a turn and this is as readers we are trying not to go off the path because we are taking a turn mm-hmm. here still paying attention to the fun hogwarts stuff that is was so entertaining in the first three books but also noticing these details like the conversation between karkarov and snape mm-hmm. you know the foreshadowing what's going to happen with cedric all the stuff that we know but it's also an exchange, like. The one type of book that we were reading for the first three chapters, and there have been hints of it in book two and three, like it's being replaced by another, another kind of book. Yes. Now is the time in the episode when we engage in our sacred reading practice. And this week, once again, we are doing the practice of legia, where each of us chooses a line from the chapter that sparkled up at us. And we are going to put those two lines together and see if new meanings emerged by placing them in conversation with one another. So, Jolie, what was your line?
0: This line happens toward the end of the book, and it reads, Brought up by the Dursleys, there are many things that wizards took for granted that were revelations to Harry but these surprises have become fewer with each successive year.
1: So tell us what's going on. Why does why does Harry think that?
0: Madame Maxine and Hagrid have recently separated and he's looking to Ron asking, like, what's the big deal? Like, why is Madame Maxine reacting this way to being asked if she's a giant? And Ron is looking at him like, what do you mean? What's the big deal? It's a huge deal. And Harry is realizing that, you know, I wasn't, I've only been in this wizarding world for three and a half years. I don't, I thought I knew everything, but apparently I'm still learning a lot. And he's about to learn a lot more. That's what's
1: happening. Yeah, that's a great line. So mine comes from a slightly earlier in the chapter. It's Ron and Hermione have the beginnings of a fight at the dance. And then Mm -hmm. then Ron and Harry walk outside. And that's when they they hear about Hagrid and Maxime. But this line comes from, you know, right after the fight with the beginnings of the fight with Hermione in the dance. And the line is this. Excellent. That's the whole point. You know, international magical cooperation. And this is a line that comes from Percy, actually. The reason I picked it is because, as I said, Cammie was reading this chapter to me, and she just, this was the funniest thing in the history of the world when she read this. Because what's happening is Ron and Hermione have just had the beginning of a fight. Ron is jealous of... Crumb. And so Crumb, who's this person whose autograph he wanted, who he was a big fan of, he's got a figurine of Crumb up in his dormitory, right? Suddenly hates Crumb, thinks Crumb is the worst thing in the world, and is accusing Hermione of disloyalty and all these things, and just like being kind of a brat and like, and being mean to everybody, including Padma, his date, and all this stuff, right? And then Hermione storms off, and Ron is sullen and surly. And Percy really obliviously comes up and says, Oh, you're getting to know Crumb. Isn't that great? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> He's
0: like rubbing his hands together. He's
1: like, Wonderful. I know. So it's yeah, like the, the, poor, the thing that Ron. Ron least wants to hear from the person he least wants to hear it from is exactly what happens in that moment. And I think yeah. it's, I just thought it was funny. So that was the one that sparkled up to me.
0: That is really funny.
1: Okay, so let's put the sentences together. I'll read yours first and then we'll see what emerges. Brought up by the Dursleys, there were many things that wizards took for granted that were revelations to Harry, but these surprises had become fewer with each successive year. Excellent. That's the whole point, you know. International magical cooperation. oh, you had a reaction. Yeah, tell me.
0: Ooh, I, I liked this. I did. It was just like, these surprises have become fewer, like... Harry's feeling bad. Maybe he's not. But I read it as if, like, Harry's feeling bad. It's just like, oh, I didn't get it. And then, like, Amelia's like, that's a good thing. It's okay not to know things. That's the whole point. You're at school, Harry. The whole point of you being in this environment is so you can learn. I think we forget that they're at school sometimes. There's this whole, like... Yule ball and world cup which in hindsight Ludo Bagman I think that was really poor planning you had two big tournaments in like the same <laughs> year involving children and lots of international travel that that was a lot that that what? was like having Coachella and like the Olympics <laughs> in the same city like same year too much but yeah, like they're at school. They're going through a lot of things. They're they're all learning. Harry is not the only one who does not know things. I think he kind of may be hard on himself because he was raised with the Dursleys, and I think we even see in this um, in this universe they're very hard on Muggleborn people for not being like proper wizards. But none of them are proper wizards. Yeah. They're really trying to learn how this whole thing goes and. That's a good thing. That's the whole point. Magical cooperation, learning from one another, seeing each other, learning from different cultures. Like, I think uh, I loved reading it that way. That was wonderful.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was, I, you know, I did not hear that in the reading, but as soon as you said it, like it made total sense. And then when I heard that, then I went the same place you did, which is like, not only is the school a place to learn, but like their thing about magical cooperation is like cooperation between wizards at these famous wizarding schools, right? But like, kind of the biggest stakes cooperation for the theme of the book is like the relationship between quote-unquote pure-blood wizards and quote-unquote muggle-born wizards, right? Mm. Like, like, the wizarding community is not good at this. They are not good at, at this at no. all. And part of the ways they're not good is like when folks like Hermione or, or Harry who are raised by those who are not wizards show up at Hogwarts like, they're not given background they're not told totally, yep. right like the cooperation they actually need is between the wizarding community and all other magical creatures and non-magical creatures right and yes. and so like it's the same thing right like we have like sort of like suggested by this juxtaposition is not only all the the new things you're learning at the delightful hogwarts school and that's why you came to school to learn it's also like oh the stakes of the like the drama and the violence that's coming is also revealed in this in that line,
0: it's excellent. I I like it. I really, yeah. I really like that reading. Okay, let's let's flip them.
1: let's flip them and do it the other way. Excellent. That's the whole point, you know. International magical cooperation. Brought up by the Dursleys, there were many things that wizards took for granted that were revelations to Harry. But these surprises had become fewer with each successive year.
0: It sounds like the Dursleys are bringing up international magical cooperation. Yeah, right. Or me. that
1: cooperation is the surprise.
0: Right. Yeah, yes, exactly. That's surprising to him. Interesting. That's a reversal of how we read it before right. where he's just like cooperation. Why? Why even bother? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like I'm really surprised by this idea, especially the Dursleys bringing it up. Yeah. Like why would they do that? Yeah. That's funny. That was a funnier reading for me for sure. Yeah. I like the idea that they're taking magical cooperation for granted in this in this reading. The other wizards, yeah. Yeah, but that can also sometimes be a problem. Like, yeah. I think that's, that speaks to our change conversation, right? When we take things for granted, sometimes we don't appreciate or are are able to easily accept changes that we experience. Like, Ron took Hermione for granted, like how she looked, how she was going to behave, like who she was. And then when this massive, to him, this massive change happens, yeah. he, he doesn't know what to do with it. It's a surprise. It's a revelation to yeah. Ron. So, yeah, that's how I'm interpreting this reading now.
1: Yeah, one of the things about this reading, you're right, I think that the cooperation seems like a surprise Mm -hmm. to Harry, but it's taken for granted for everybody else. I feel like if you're an institution and some value you have, you take for granted as obvious, but newcomers Mm -hmm. are surprised that it's a value of yours then you are not living into that value. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> right? you got to readjust. We right. need to make a change. That's right. You got to make a change.
1: And that is a problem at Hogwarts, right? They think that they represent all these values, but actually you have folks on the margins like Hagrid and others where we can see the kind of mm. the weaknesses and the foundations of of the pedagogy and just the ideology of the wizarding world. So that's, that's some of different stuff emerges there. Yeah.
0: I loved that, Matt.
1: Well, thanks for doing Florileggia with me, Jolie.
0: Thank you. I love energy. I love all this. I love all the sacred practices. Like, let's do more. Come to camp. We'll do (laughs) a lot more.
2: Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
1: Now we have a voice memo from Shalmar.
2: Hi, this is Shalmar from Detroit. Hello to my fellow Michigander Matt and to Vanessa and everyone on your lovely and hardworking team. I'm calling today about your episode on inspiration from Book 3, Chapter 12, where you talked some about Professor Lupin teaching Harry how to produce a Patronus. I have often heard people compare the Dementors to depression, but after listening to this conversation, I for the first time began to see a parallel between the boggarts and anxiety. While they're separate and distinct creatures, we see an overlap between the Dementors and boggarts, just as we know there are connections and overlaps between anxiety and depression. Furthermore, the boggarts not only make you face your fear, but also your fear of fear, which is at the core of much of anxiety. It makes me think that Professor Lupin, a man with a lot of past and present trauma who probably himself deals with anxiety, wasn't mistaken when he would have Harry practice his Patronus in the presence of a Boggart. I wonder if he wasn't simply prioritizing Harry learning this spell to protect himself from the Dementors, but rather journeying with him as he learned to face both his fear and his fear of fear itself. I've just learned recently that avoiding our anxiety triggers can actually make anxiety worse, and Think Professor Lupin was well aware of this and so intentionally chose to teach Harry this way in hopes of helping him overcome the anxiety that was forming in him. With all that in mind, I'd like to end by giving a blessing to Remus Lupin, Harry Potter, myself, and anyone else who experiences anxiety. May we always have loving companions as we make our difficult journeys with and through anxiety, and may the rewards be as sweet as the gift of chocolate. Thanks.
0: Oh, that was such a good ending.
1: <laughs> Shalmar, thank you so much for this voice memo. And also for that reading. Uh, I have several people I love very much in my life who have anxiety disorders. And the way you described the bogart as sort of a allegory for anxiety, but also the idea that avoidance can actually lead to greater anxiety. I thought that was a really interesting reading and one I'm grateful for. But also just this idea of like the overlap between anxiety and depression, you know, that it's the fact that the bogger can take the form of a dementor, yes. right? Like this is, yeah, that's really wise and really smart. And I hope really useful to listeners who, who might also experience anxiety or have people that they love who experience anxiety. So thank you for that. And thank you for your blessing.
0: It was meaningful to me. I have general anxiety disorder. I take medication for it. And I was snapping the entire time I was listening. And Matt, you brought up what I was going to bring up about how the anxiety can trigger the depression. Like the Bogart becomes a uh, dementor for harry and also your anxiety can change hermione's bogart i think changes like as she goes through the series i wonder what harry's bogart becomes once he learns to conquer the dementors and doesn't see them as anything yeah. like anxiety is it is a shapeshifter no one knows Like the reality of the situation or what a bulgur can look like, it can be as small as a little beetle, but the impact it has on your life is very, very real. And that's what anxiety feels like to people. And it's all-consuming and it creates a fear and it creates a fear of experiencing that again in that spiral. But you learn to combat it step by step, little by little, and... I think that is such an important lesson that Harry and his classmates experience in book three. And I think that is such an important allegory that you brought up. So I'm really, I'm really excited to take that with me throughout the rest of my readings of these books and also throughout the rest of my experiences with anxiety and depression. So thank you.
1: Thanks, Julie. Now is the time in our episode when we remember those in our community who have been loved and lost. Matthew Sumption, 25, a son and brother who left too soon. Ruby, 75, a professional actress and beloved spiritual mentor. Katie B, 29, a bicycling lover, laugher, and friend. Chris Larson, 70, a beloved uncle and pioneer in Parkinson's research. Patricia Donnelly, 87, an artist, gardener, and inspiration. Mac Mitzinski, 92, a beloved grandfather and avid puzzler. that light perpetual shine upon all of them. Julie, it's time for our blessings now. Who would you like to bless from the chapter?
0: I would like to bless Percy Weasley in this chapter. One, a rare sighting. I I just like when he pops (laughs) up sometimes, even though he gets on everyone else's nerves. But also I'm noticing that Percy is going through a lot of changes himself. He has changed roles in his job. He is now Barty Crouch's personal assistant. He's representing Barty Crouch in a lot of ways. He's no longer a student at Hogwarts, and he's returning. And that is a very jarring experience. But also, I noticed they pointed out that he had brand new navy blue dress robes. Percy is experiencing a change in his income. Mm. He's experiencing a change in status. And sometimes that can be really hard to adjust to, either for other people or for yourself, not really knowing who you are anymore sometimes. And we know that Percy goes through an immense change with these do- new additions in his life and begins to drift away from his core, but eventually returns. So I just want to give a blessing to anyone going through changes, struggling to figure out who they are in this moment. And I want to remind you that you can always come back to the home that is yourself.
1: Thanks, Joey. Thanks, Thanks, Matt. I always love when Percy shows up too and that was I hadn't thought about that but you're right he's becoming a professional right he's growing into to what he's always dreamed of right so this week I'm going to bless Cedric we didn't talk about this moment in the chapter very much but right at the end of the chapter right when Harry wants to hate Cedric because he's with Cho Cedric returns the favor and says you know hey go to this bathroom open the egg underwater You know, he's cheating, I guess, technically, so we maybe don't want to bless him for that. I just, Cedric is a good person. And even though Harry wants to resent him or be jealous of him, Cedric is good enough that that becomes more difficult for Harry and it makes everything else that's going to happen in the rest of this book that much more sad. And so we just want to bless Cedric for being a good sport and a good competitor to Harry in this moment.
0: Good to his core, never changes right up until the very end.
1: Next week we're going to be reading Book Four, Chapter Twenty Four, with a person named Vanessa Zoltan. Have you heard of her, Julie?
0: I mean, I haven't, but she sounds really cool, really amazing, really smart. Probably likes Jane Eyre. Just seems the type. <laughs> so excited to listen!
1: She's great. I'm excited to, to talk to her. We'll see what we'll see what emerges. And the name of the chapter is Rita Skeeter Scoop, and we're going to be reading Rita Skeeter Scoop through the theme of rejection. Just a few reminders before we give our thanks. Remember that you can go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe to ad-free episodes and also leave a review for us. And also remember that Not Sorry is hosting a camp in Monticello, New York, June 9th through 11th. Jolie will be there. I will be there. This stranger named Vanessa Zoltan will be there. And it's going to be great, so come join us. This has been a Not Sorry production, and Not Sorry Productions is a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our engineer is Malika Gumpankum. We're edited and produced by AJ Yaramaz. Our music is by Ivan Paisal and Nick Boll, and we are distributed by ACAS. Thanks to Shalmar for their voicemail this week, to Lara Glass, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Willison, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Casper ter Stephanie Stephanie Paulsell, the amazing and wonderful Jolie Doggett, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones this week. Bye! Bye!
0: I was going to say, listener, if you are curious, I did buy new earrings and they're on the way. (laughs) So all is well. All is well.